of God, my Savior, standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of God. Amen. Hallelujah. So glad that we can stand on the promises of God. Hallelujah. You're the one that never fails, never leaves, never forsakes us, Lord. Hallelujah, so good. I count on one thing. The same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God is never late. Working all things out, working all things out. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Yes, I Yes, I will lift you high. 
Hallelujah, let's praise Him. Hallelujah. 
the Lord. If you have your Bibles, if you would go to Colossians chapter number one, we will begin a new series of sermons from the book of Colossians. As we often do throughout the year, we like to have some longer series. This will walk us for about three months, but it's really the only way to be a well-rounded people. 
When we jump from topical to topical, it's good, and those messages can speak to us and stir us. But if you do that long enough, you will get a lopsided, <laughs> and in the long run, an immature people, because there's a lot of things that you miss. But I believe that God gave us the book, and when he gave us the book, he knew what he was doing when he gave us the book. So it would behoove us to walk through the book and study the book and let God's word speak to us. So we will begin preaching through a handful, 12, 13, 14 messages from the book of Colossians, that God will speak to us and we can learn his will and his way. So if you have your Bibles, Colossians 1, let's just start with the first verse. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God the Father. Verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and the love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel, that has come to you all over the world, this gospel, is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Let's use as a title this morning, we're going to change our title. Let's call it Thankful for a Good Report. Thankful for a Good Report. Because Paul begins by giving thanks to God for the good things he heard about this young church. We pray, Father, we thank you for your word. Speak to us. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. Father, help us to hear what you're speaking to us personally as well as corporately. May your word minister fresh grace to hearts, fresh understanding to minds. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said. This morning we begin this new series, group of sermons from the book of Colossians. And the theme of Colossians, the theme of this little book, is the complete sufficiency, the adequacy of Jesus Christ. Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul when he was in his first Roman imprisonment, kind of like a, a, a house arrest. And the church was young. It was founded by one of the men Paul had discipled, one of his fellow ministers, Epaphras. And the reason for this letter is that false teachers and false teachings were beginning to spread their poison and make inroads in this young church. They were infiltrating the church. And of, um, it was similar, the teaching similar to that New Age doctrine that tried to sneak into the church some 10 or 20 years ago. Um, they would add a little of this to the message, take a little bit of that, wind up just diluting the whole thing and deceiving the people of God. And one of the most deceptive and really the most dangerous and, and damning lies and offenses was the fact that they would attack the person and the work of the Lord Jesus. If you miss who Jesus is and what he did, you miss everything. They, they claim to be Christian teachers. And there, here was the, the subtlety. Here was the deception. And they would use many of the right words. But they had the wrong definitions. They had different meanings. 
So often cults and false religions and backslidden churches will have the same vocabulary, but they'll use a different dictionary. They'll say this, but it doesn't mean what it really means in the Bible. They'll use the same word to deceive, but it doesn't have the same meaning. They wouldn't come out and just flatly deny Jesus. They were too subtle for that. But their teachings would certainly attempt to dethrone him, lessening his work in his place, diminishing his work, as if the cross was just merely a noble death of a martyr. But we know the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And that blood is not bulls and goats, but the precious blood of Jesus. Try to diminish his place. They might say, well, well, he's, he's a good teacher and yeah, he might have performed miracles, but he's not. No, no, no. He's divine. Born of that virgin. Second person of the Trinity. Amen. Oh, no, 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 no. They would try to diminish his role. Is saying, well, he brought us a good revelation. He did healings. No, no, he's the only savior and the one time he'll be our judge. No, 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 no. They would add some things to his work. They'd say, you know what? Just faith in Christ, faith in his shed blood, faith in the work of the cross. That's not enough. You need this experience, sir. You need to do this also. Or they would take something away from his glory. They might say, yes, he was a good man. He was a good teacher, but, but he's not the only way. And, and you know, really, he's not really the unique son of God. And so it was very subtle. It was very deceptive. They wouldn't, they would give him a place, but not the supreme place. Friend, Jesus must be more than prominent. Jesus must be preeminent. Prominence is important. Preeminence above all in rank and worthy and honor and value. And as Christians, we must make sure Jesus is preeminent in every area of our lives. He's not the guest. He's the master. He's the Lord. And he's the king. Can you say amen? The church needs the message of Colossians. In an age of spiritual mixture of the, the watering down of doctrine, of the drifting and the moving away of, of having the real faith and the authority of the scripture and the word of God, we need this message. When religious tolerance is interpreted to mean one religion is as good as another, we need this message. In an hour when many give religious talks sprinkled with some Christian principles and a funny story to start with, but they exclude the exalting, the announcing of Jesus Christ as Lord and the only way to heaven. We need this message again. How many know a spiritual motivational talk is not the same as Bible preaching? Even if you sprinkle it with a little verse and a cute story, but you take away the cross and discipleship and sacrifice, oh my The message of Colossians exalts Jesus alone as the all-sufficient and the preeminent one, declaring that his finished, completed work on the cross of Calvary is totally adequate to save, to forgive, to transform, and to bring us to God. Only Christ and only his work on Calvary is adequate to make a person right with God to redeem us from and reconcile us to. The Bible is very clear. His name is above every other name. At his name all men will bow. The Bible is very clear. His name is the only name given to men whereby we must be saved.
All you and I need concerning salvation and eternity is found in Jesus Christ. The Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus of Scripture. Nothing needs to be added. You see, it's Jesus who died for us and rose again. And it's Jesus we will all stand before one day. He alone, he alone has given himself as that worthy, all-sufficient sacrifice for our sins. And only through him can you, can I, can any person receive forgiveness and a right standing before God. Now as we begin this series, let two thoughts just echo behind every sermon, every principle, every point. Number one, don't lose your love for Jesus. Keep loving Jesus. Grow up in Jesus. Give him his rightful place in your life. Um, develop and keep on developing a daily personal walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. It, it's so important. It's greatly important. Don't lose your love for the Lord. We love the book of Ephesians. It's one of the greatest books in the Bible. The Apostle Paul himself built that church. Spent three years ministering to those people. It was a great church. It was a powerful church. That book is one of the greatest books in the whole word of God. But you know, some 30 or 40 years later, when Jesus visited that church, he's looked at those group of people and he said, you know what? Your doctrine's still good and your commitment and your works are pretty good. You're faithful in that. And you know what? You don't even put up with the false doctrine. He says, but I have this one thing against you. You've left your first love. Somewhere along the lines you were believing right, but your heart got cold towards me. Somehow or another, even though you stood against the wrong, you no longer love to praise me. You no longer love to weep in my presence. For some, you got bored with me. Got bored with Jesus. Anybody here got bored with Jesus? At one time, you used to actually lift your hands. Now you think you're too good for that? At one time you weren't ashamed to sing in the spirit. But now you, you, you've grown too much. You're too smart for that. Number one, don't lose your love for Jesus. Jesus said to that church that had all these wonderful characteristics. He said, if you don't reclaim what you lost, I'll take that lampstand away. You'll lose your place in God. As a congregation and as individuals. So number one, don't lose your love for Jesus. Seems like a hundred years ago, but it was probably only 40 that we used to sing, I keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again. If you sang that once on Sunday night, you sang it a million times. Amen. That was a Sunday night special. Number one, don't lose your love for Jesus. And number two, don't lose your grip on sound doctrine. Sound teaching. You see, there's a lot of false ideas and deceptions that are floating around the church. But don't be deceived or taken in by those things. Know what the Bible says. That's why we encourage you. Go to Sunday school. Go to the Bible studies. Go to the small groups. I mean, we got such a wonderful adult Sunday school class there. Get out early and get to it. There's some excellent teaching and feeding and equipping in the small groups. Know what the Bible says. There are false ideas out there. And I'll tell you, there's another thing that in the church today, in our circle, in the world in which we live, spiritually speaking, one of the greatest dangers of this present hour is not so much false teaching, but as purposely neglected truth. One of the greatest dangers, I want you to hear this, is purposely neglected truth. Um, how can we say it? Um, 
partial gospel. Whether it's because of the fear of man, whether it's because we have somehow um, got so in love with numbers that we'll do anything, if we even think the Bible might offend someone, we take it out. But in the end, even if people mean well, in the end, it leads to false concepts and understandings about Christianity, a false assurance, deficient faith, and a damaged faith, a handicapped faith. Because they're leaving out certain things that God says it's part of the whole. If you take it out, like again, um, I remember Brother um, Bishop Jones that was with us, and he told that he preached a great message on the love of God, and he started out by saying in the military as a cook and a baker, he loved to get up early, and he would make cakes and um, pies and everything for the troops and he said he got up one morning two three in the morning he made a host of pies and and cakes and all these good um um, um, bakery things and he said when i tasted them at the end something was wrong and i found out there was a missing ingredient he says i forgot to put the sugar in you know you can put 99 percent of the right thing in but if you don't put it all in you're going to miss out in the end and i tell you this because in the church today the churches we would go to that call themselves Bible-believing churches. It's not so much a false doctrine, but a neglected doctrine. And if you sit there long enough, you can spend 10 or 20 years and miss a whole lot of Bible that is needed. Because Bible balances Bible. And to produce the mature Christian that God desires, that well-rounded Christian that the Lord is looking for, that healthy disciple and follower of Jesus Christ, somebody, we need all the book. Can you say amen? In fact, Paul reminds us a couple of times in the books of 1st and 2nd Timothy, in the last days, the Spirit clearly says and warns us, there's going to be a, a slipping away and an abandoning of the faith, of the solid Bible teaching and Scripture. People will follow deceiving spirits. They're able to scratch their itch and meet carnal needs, but yet not challenge them to a place of crucifixion and devotion to Christ. He calls this word, he uses a strong phrase. He says, doctrines of demons. Doctrines of demons. Any doctrine that does not point to Jesus Christ and Him alone as the way to salvation is the doctrine of demons. Any, any doctrine that can say, you can come and say a little sinner's prayer and then go live any way you want is the doctrine of demons. It's not Bible. It's not Bible no matter what we say. Come on, say amen to that. That's why he wrote the book. It's the inroads of the false that come in. Paul gives thanks. Paul begins this letter not by attacking these false doctrines. He's going to get to them in a while. But he starts off by lifting up a prayer of thanksgiving for all that God had done in the lives of this church. And then he'll begin to exalt the Lord Jesus. Paul gives thanks for the good report that he heard. The good report that he received concerning this group of young believers. Let's look at this this morning. Number one, look at verse Let's start with verse 3. And Paul says, we always thank God. Paul says, I'm thanking God. The Spirit of God in me is rejoicing because I heard some great things about you. Number one, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Verse 4, because we have heard, number one, of your faith in Christ Jesus. Number one, Paul says, I'm giving God praise this morning because of your faith in Christ, because of your sincere commitment to Christ. Not just faith in faith, but they had faith in Christ Jesus. There's a difference. Not just faith in a set of doctrines. Not just faith in a specific church. Not even just faith in a religious experience. But they had faith in Christ Jesus. Faith and commitment 
in the person of the Lord Jesus. But remember, the object of someone's faith makes all the difference. The object in our faith is in the risen Son of God. Who he is and what he's done. You see, faith is um, being persuaded that something is true and trusting in it. But don't stop there because it's more than just a mental agreement. From there it involves an obedience and a commitment. Faith in Christ and what he has accomplished on the cross. Paul says, number one, I'm rejoicing. My heart is rejoicing. The spirit of God in me is rejoicing. Because when I look, I don't just see religious people. I don't see people just coming out because it's a country club and it's a thing to do to be religious in a certain part of the world. No, you have a sincere faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have put your confidence in his work in the cross and you are living out that life. You are demonstrating your faith by the life you're now living. But number one, not faith in faith, not just faith in good deeds, not just faith in a God that that loves us, but faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. Let's look together at Galatians 2 and 16. We'll give a supporting verse for our various points. But here, Galatians 2, know that a person, Paul says, know this, understand this, be completely settled about this. Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. We're not made justified just or right with God by the works we do. Even if they're good works. Even if they're moral works. He says, know this. A person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, not just faith in religion, not just faith in the assemblies of God. Not No, no. Faith in Jesus Christ. So we too, we put our faith in Christ Jesus. That we may be justified, made just, made right before God. I want to be right before God, don't you? Because I know I sinned. I, oh Lord, I don't want to meet Him outside the blood. I'll tell you that much. I don't want to stand before this holy God in the condition I used to be. I want to be there in Christ. So we too put our faith in Christ that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. What are you trusting in to go to heaven? What are you trusting in when you stand before God one day? Is it your good works? Is it your good deeds? No matter how good they are, no matter how noble they are, you can never merit or earn your way to heaven. We all get there the same way. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Come on. But I'm a deacon. No matter what you are, have you put your faith in Christ? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? If your faith is in you to get to heaven, you're going to fail. Your faith has to be in what Jesus has done for you on the cross of Calvary. Not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one. No one. That covers all of us, don't it? No one will be justified or made righteous before God. Paul says, I want to give thanks I heard a glorious report. And number one, it's in your faith in the Lord Jesus. You don't just have faith in another religion. You've put your faith in Jesus and his victory on that cross. And that makes all the difference. But then he doesn't stop there. He goes on. He goes on that same verse. Because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. Wow. You see, the fruit, the evidence, the real proof of a real new birth experience is love for the brethren. You see, if you love Jesus, you should love the people of Jesus. 
if you love, according to the Bible, if you love Jesus, his spirit's in your heart, right? If it's his spirit, guess what? He loves his people, doesn't he? So if I love Jesus, I ought to love the people of Jesus. We need to love and support and appreciate and work with one another. Paul heard this report and made his heart rejoice. There's no schisms in that church. There's no backbiting there. There's no divisions there. There's no fighting there. Because again, one of the visible and strongest evidences of a true saving faith is love for fellow believers. Love for fellow believers. This is so important. Some of these things we put off, we think, well, it's a poo-poo thing, it's not important. This is one of the most important things if you want to see God move in your life and move in the life of your church. In fact, to love one another, you know what? It's something Jesus commanded. And it's something Jesus said will actually should be a witness to the rest of the world. Look at John 13. Jesus said these words. This is the same context of Jesus. He's washing their feet. And he says, a new command I give you. A fresh command I give you. In the context of him just humbling himself and washing feet. A new command I give you. What is it, Jesus? Do you want us to go heal the sick? Well, wait on that. Do you want us to go and preach to Caesar? Wait on that. Uh, A new command. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Wow. Wow. Because he goes on to say, this is one way. By this, everyone will know that you belong to me if you love one another. Wow. Love one another. Pray for one another. Support one another. Oh, I know some people are harder to love than others, but the command is love one another. Isn't that right? You're not going to be best buddy buddies with everyone. That, that's crazy. You can't do that. But love is a commitment. Love is acting civilly. Love is a devotion to one another. It's not just an emotional thing. My Lord, again, some people are harder to love than others. It's true. Isn't that right? Let's be honest. You're in church. You can be honest now. But, but Jesus said, if you're truly born from above, you're going to have an expression of love for those I died for, those that are brothers and sisters in the Lord. And in fact, I command you as my disciples, go and love one another the same way I loved you sacrificially, humbly serving one another, not thinking you're too good for one another, but humbling, ministering one to another, supporting each other, weeping one for another, encouraging, locking arms of faith and devotion and fighting the fight together, the people of God. And when you do that, it sends a message to that world. They'll know you're my disciples. They'll know something is different in that place. They'll know. I'll tell you what else. If you want a moving of God's spirit, one of the key ways to get the blessing of God in the the descent of the spirit in a fuller measure is by loving one another and supporting one another and lifting up one another. In fact, how did the psalmist say it? He talks about the fragrance of the spirit and the fruitfulness of the spirit and the bestowal of the divine blessing from above as a result of those that will walk together in unity, that will love one another, that will stick tight through thick and thin. How did David say it? I think it's Psalm 133. He said, oh, how wonderful, how beautiful, how awesome it is when the brethren dwell together in unity, when the people of God live Live together in a unity, not in division, not in fights, not in debate. No, no. When they dwell together in unity. In fact, he says, you know what it's like? He says, you know, it's like that precious oil poured on the head of the priest. Running down, you anoint him. And it separated him. 
Oil has a precious fragrance. The anointing oil of God brings a fragrance. When we love one another, the fragrance of heaven can fill the sanctuary. The fragrance of heaven can fill the Bible study. The fragrance of heaven can fill the men's meeting. I don't mean just the bacon and eggs that they're cooking. I mean there's a fragrance when men love one another and men pray one for another. I'm saying that men's breakfast at the end. I pray a blessing on the men. Then I say pray for your brother on both sides. And you ought to hear these guys. It's like a rumble that goes up into heaven as they're praying blessing on one another. Oh, God says, when I see my children loving one another and supporting one another, I bestow my blessing. I smile upon them. It moves my heart to want to bless them in a richer way. It's like the oil that is poured down upon the high priest and the oil of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings a fragrance of the blessing and the love of God. But it doesn't stop there. There is a lasting fragrance. There is a lasting fruitfulness when God bestows His blessing, when God's heart is moved by unity and love one for another. Let's read on this next verse. It's like not only the anointing oil, but it's like the dew that settles on the mountain, bringing down the rivers. It's like the dew that sets upon the harvest, causing it to grow robust and healthy and strong. It's as the dew of Hermon falling on Mount Zion. For there, where the place where brethren dwell together in unity, the place where we can shrug off little offenses, walk in forgiveness, weep one for another, fight the fight of faith one for another. It's there where the Lord bestows His blessing, even life forevermore. Listen, you can scream all you want, fall out, run around, but if God don't bestow His blessing, it's just aerobics under a Christian name. Say amen to that. But oh, when there's a real love and there's a real support and you're there for one another, it moves the heart. You know how it is. You get those kids and they squabble. Don't lie. Stop squabbling. But when you see them playing together real nice, amen. Oh, it makes your heart feel good, right? All them grandbabies are playing nice and your heart is blessed. And, you know, and Paul, Paul, he'll buy them anything at that point. Ice cream and, you know, I'm just, your heart is moved. Heart of the Father is moved. I want to say something. I don't know why I want to say it. You know, it's a shame. Some people in the church so long, they, they, they've signed more petitions than they've gone to prayer meetings. And I think that's pathetic. Come on, say amen to that. Maybe that was for someone. That wasn't in the notes. Dwell together in unity. Loving one another. In such a place. In such a place. In such a place, there is a lovely fragrance. And there's a lasting fruitfulness. And there's heaven's bestowal of divine blessing. Because the heart of the Father is pleased when his children get along, loving, supporting, weeping, battling with one another. Come on, give me a... Paul says, my heart rejoices. I give thanks every time I pray for you. Because I've heard these good reports. I've heard, number one, about your faith in Jesus. Your sincere faith in Christ and the cross. But secondly, it didn't stop there because it was real. We've seen and heard of the evidence of salvation. You're loving one another. You're supporting one another. 
You're coming from different backgrounds and different histories and different stories and different names and different cultures. But yet you're one in Christ and you're loving as brothers and you're fighting as those of a common family. It's a beautiful thing. But he didn't stop there. He didn't stop there. Verse 4, because we have heard of your faith, we've heard of your love. Verse 5, the faith and the love that spring from the hope. Hope, hope. The hope salvation gives us, our hope in heaven, our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ that he's coming back for us. Hope, the confident assurance, the expectation. We know this in the Bible. Bible hope is not wishful thinking. Bible hope is confident expectation. Our hope, we're confident about the future. We really do believe we're just passing through. This world's not our home. We're going to a better place. We really do believe. Jesus is going to come and get us if he doesn't bring us to himself. Hope. Our lives are moved by the hope of heaven. We're going to go see Jesus. And that hope steadies us. That hope secures us. That hope inspires us. You know, Peter calls it a living hope. It's not just philosophical. It's not just traditional. It's a hope that's alive and real and it beats within us. My hope in Christ, um, it affects the way I live. It affects the way I think. It affects the way I speak. My hope in Christ. I'm going to see him one day. Peter calls it a living hope. Paul calls it like this. Christ Jesus, our hope. Jesus is our hope. Some of you old timers, I'll join in with that group. Remember the precious song. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean, fully lean on Jesus' name. Is your hope in Christ? Is that hope affecting your life? Is that hope energizing you and motivating you and steadying you as you walk through life's toils and snares and the battles that we face? The Bible teaches us, number one, that our hope, hope, Hebrews 6, our hope is an anchor to the soul. Our hope anchors us to heaven. Our hope connects us to heaven. Our anchor goes into the very heavenly, securing us to Christ, securing us to eternal life. Our hope anchors us to heaven. You and I, who know the Lord, are securely held. For this is an anchor that never fails. This is an anchor that holds through every trial and every storm we face. We are kept and we are connected because we have our hope in Jesus Christ. And that is an anchor for the soul. That hope anchors me to heaven but that hope also motivates me and energizes me and encourages me as I walk on the earth this is a hope that stirs my heart to live right and to live ready and to live responsibly because I really believe one day I'm going to heaven I one day I'm going to stand before the Lord it motivates me in how I live in the here and now It keeps me ready and it keeps me living right and it keeps me living responsibly. First John 3 verses 2 and 3. What what a, what a wonderful two verses there. Check this out. Dear friends, now we are children of God. Any children of God out there? Now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. Woo! There's some good stuff awaiting for us. Amen? 
But we do know this. We know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. Wow. For we shall see him as he is. Wow. Woo. Hallelujah. Oh, yeah. Man, man, I don't know everything, but I know something's going to happen. It's going to be good. We're going to be changed. We're going to be like Jesus. We're going to see him. Woo. Do you believe that? All right. Now, all of us who have this hope, the hope that we're going to see him, the hope that he's bringing us to him, this hope that we're going to be transformed. All of us who have this hope in him, purify ourselves just as he is pure. Because I really have a hope that I'm going to go to heaven and I'm going to see Jesus. It motivates the way I live on earth. Because I know this world is not my home and this world will have the last say. It motivates the way I live on earth. It strengthens me and encourages me to keep on keeping on. To keep steady, to keep ready, to keep living responsibly. Not to give in to the slothfulness. Not to give in to the decay and the deception and the culture of the hour. But to stay pure and separate, living for Jesus, unashamed of the gospel. Why do you live like you live? i got a hope in heaven. I'm not staying in a world like this. I'm going to a better place. I'm going to stand before the Lord. I want to hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant one day. And it's hope in Christ that is an anchor to our soul that is a motivating force in how we live and the hope that we have is also something how can we say it it's a it's a comforting strength that reminds the child of God that it won't always be like this I speak to someone suffering I speak to someone maybe going through a sorrow for a battle it won't always be like things things are going to get better and this world is not my home and this thing will pass somebody hear you the word of the Lord this morning whatever you do don't lose your hope don't lose your hope in Christ don't lose your hope in heaven don't lose your hope in the grace of God that is sufficient to bring you through and heal your brokenness and steady you when you're fighting the fight don't lose your hope in the one that will work all things together for the good. The one that is faithful to keep you from falling and one glad morning present you faultless before the throne of God's grace. I talked to someone, don't lose your hope. You might be facing a frightening season that wants to take you out. Don't lose your hope. You might be going through a storm that doesn't ever seem to cease raging but don't lose your hope. You might be enduring things that have no answer. There is no rhyme or reason except we live in a fallen world and the effects of that world hit us all and strike us all somebody don't lose that hope the Bible says weeping may endure for the night but there's a joy that's coming in the morning that means in this world there's seasons of weeping there's seasons of crying there's seasons of sorrow but sorrow won't have the last say joy is coming to the believer joy is coming to the one that believes and has a hope in Christ who will begin this work and complete this work. To Him be glory forever. Can you say amen? Don't lose your hope. Don't lose your hope. Don't lose your hope. Don't give in to suicidal thoughts. Don't lose your... Get your hope back. Don't run out. Get your hope back. The psalmist said, Hope thou in God, for you will yet praise Him. You will praise Him. Because God will come through. And God will not abandon you. And God will not forsake you. Others can run out on you. Jesus will be there. Others will fall short, but Jesus will not fail. Don't lose your hope. Don't lose your hope. 
Paul writes, I'm rejoicing. I've heard such good news. You have faith in Christ. You have a love one for another. You have a hope that is secure in heaven. A hope that's causing you to live different on earth. A hope that's connecting you and securing you. Hallelujah. Paul goes on. He says, I want to give God praise. I'm thanking the Lord this morning for the things that he sees in Colossians. And we see right here. Faith in Christ. Love one for another. There's a hope in the Lord that keeps them firm and secure marching on. And then there's their growth. Not only the growth of the gospel as it affects the world, but growth in their individual lives. Can anything bless the heart of a parent or a pastor more than to see when people are growing and maturing and achieving? Can anything be a greater joy to the heart as to see God's people going from faith to faith and glory to glory. Go ahead and look at verse 6. We're just walking through this. Paul had said the gospel that has come to you all over the world. This gospel. All over the world. Isn't that wonderful? All over the world. This gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you. It's not only reaching China. It's not only breaking down iron walls and bamboo walls. It's not only reaching into the ghetto. It's reaching to you. It's reaching to your heart. It's reaching to your home. It's reaching to your community. Just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all of its truth. What a thought. He says, I am rejoicing. I am giving God thanks when I think of you. Because of regardless of the attacks, regardless of the resistance from hell, Regardless of the opposition from men, from within and from without, this gospel is bearing fruit. This gospel is marching on. This gospel is advancing. It's going throughout the world. It's going throughout the Roman Empire. And even more than that, it's coming into your heart. It's transforming your life. It's working in your family. Oh, it's a beautiful thought. Lives are being changed. And the gospel spreads throughout the world. And he says, you know what? You're a picture of that. You're a part of that. We remember the words of Jesus when he said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And friend, you're part of that church. You're participating in that church. He's talking about your life. He's talking about this gospel that you believe. It's a gospel that goes throughout the world, changing lives. It's a gospel that goes to individuals and turns their lives around, bringing hope and healing to those that would believe. This gospel that we preach, this gospel Paul writes about, he says it's a productive gospel. And he says you're proof that this gospel is real. Look at what God's done in you. And look at how far God has brought you. Our lives this morning testify that the gospel was more than a message that he preached. It's more than a message we preach. It's a miracle we've experienced. It's more than just a philosophy. It's more than a debate. The gospel of Jesus Christ is something that's changed our lives. Once we heard it, we understood it. We embraced the gospel and all God's grace. It changed us. It transformed us. We're not the people we used to be. Oh, I know we haven't arrived yet, but thank God we're not what we used to be. God's done a work in us. God's done a miracle in us. And God has even greater things for us. Can you say amen? All over the world, this gospel, that's 
why we got to preach it. That's why we support missions. That's why we support the missionaries. And we pray for them. That's why we do it all over this world. This gospel is bearing fruit and growing. Glory to God. When nations tried to shut it out, they couldn't shut it out. Amen? When certain tribes tried to hold it back, and couldn't do it. Gospels, the power of God into salvation. Whew. All over the world. Bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you. Woo. Wow. Oh, Lord. Thank the Lord this morning. Our lives testify. Anybody's life testify? Our lives testify. For we have experienced the power and the transforming work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We bear witness. This gospel elevates. This gospel liberates. This gospel regenerates. This gospel lifts a man up. This gospel sets a man free. This gospel makes a man brand new. We are new creatures in Christ. Somebody say amen to that. Oh yeah, more fruit in us. Paul's giving thanks. Because this gospel, Rome tried to kill it. Religion tried to overwhelm it. But this gospel marches on. This is the gospel we believe. This is the gospel we support. This is the gospel we preach. Wow. And not only did it reach the world, it reached us. It changed us. We testify it's changed us. We're not who we used to be. Something changed us. It's the gospel of Christ. Paul gives thanks and celebrates these wonderful things he sees in this church. They had faith in Christ. Do you have a faith in Christ? Didn't ask if you were a church member. Didn't ask if, relatively speaking, you were a good person. Have you put your faith in Christ for salvation? But then there was a love for one another. And it's not always easy to love other human beings, but they're like us. They're all frail. They all got, some people, how's it say, some people like porcupines? They got a lot of good points, but they're so sharp you can't get near them. Amen. It's true, we're all different. We're all different, Amen. If I had to do report cards on some of my people, I'd say, you know, some, some remember in the kindergarten and you have a report card and they mark the things in the back and one of the things is it doesn't play well with others. Well, you know, <laughs> talk, some talk in the hall, some chew gum. No, some don't play well with others. It's true though. Some, it's just, it's life. Everyone's different. Amen. You can be washed in the blood and still be different. But we still will love one another and do our best to one part of the Bible says put up with one another. I read that and said, man, I know this came from God, but that's exactly how it feels sometimes, doesn't it? But we're committed because we're part of the family, amen? That's my brother, that's my sister. We might not always agree on things, we might be different. That's my brother, that's my sister. So we're going to pray together and weep together and work together, and we're going to be there for one another. Whew. Then there's that hope in the Lord. Wow. Don't lose your hope. In Jesus. It won't always be like this. Again, I know this life can hurt you. This life does have seasons of sorrow, weeping and dirt. I know that. We all go through that. But it's good to know joy is coming. Joy is coming. Because our hope says it won't always be like this. This will pass. We're going to a better place. We're going to a surer place. We're going to praise the Lord. He, he gives thanks for their growth. And I give God praise for the many people I've seen grow through the years. Not just some people are older, but I've seen spiritual growth. 
entered into new things spiritually. Others have come and they've been in a state where they weren't where they need to be and now they're strong again and they're bearing fruit again. What a beautiful thing. The growth, the growth. And the growth that we allow, we're part of missions. And how many missionaries and tens and tens of thousands of dollars each year you people give to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. God rejoiced over that and we rejoice over that. And lastly, look at verse 7 and we'll wind down with this. He says, you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ. He gives praise and thanks for the work of Epaphras. What's he saying? Well, all of us are called to take our place and to fulfill our duty in the kingdom of God. And Paul was thankful for his fellow servants. And we should likewise appreciate one another. Appreciate Brother Dave and all he's doing with the Rangers. Sister Aretha and Missionettes and Amy over there. We got Brother Torres. He's running down people. He's just out there like a, like a hound after the strays, just reaching strays. Thank God for that. I thank God for that. Amen? There's just so many. The board the work so hard. So many that are here serving God. We thank God for that. And we should appreciate one another. Amen? Don't take one another for granted. Pray for those that work in Sunday school. Pray for the teachers. Pray for the ones that work in the various ministries. Lift them up. Encourage them. Send them a nice card from time to time. For those of us that work together for the common good, let's pray for one another. Let's appreciate one another. Let's support one another. Those that have blessed you through the years, remember them and appreciate them. Those that work with you week after week to keep everything going, to do the work God's called us to do in this place, appreciate one another. Support one another. That's what the heart of God is. You see, these words of thanksgiving are still inspired. They're written by the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit in Paul that moved him in this way. They're expressing the heart of the Father. All these things are things the Father still is pleased with and still longs to see in all of us. There's still keys to a healthy church that pleases the Father. The heart of God is glad and well pleased for our growth, our faithfulness, our service in Christ. Keep it going, faithful ones. The best is yet to come. Now, lastly, with Epaphras, notice a couple quick things here. What do we learn from the fact that this line is in the Bible? We find out that this great, wonderful message, this powerful gospel of God must have a human instrument in which it can touch the world. It needs a human instrument. This is good news. Someone's got to tell it. This is the power of God. Someone's got to extend it. It's not going to happen on its own. He didn't send the angels to do the task that we were sent to do. It's divinely given, but it's humanly passed on. The possession of the gospel involves our obligation to support and share the gospel. I want to make sure I'm doing my part, amen? Because let's face it. One day, Epaphras is called a faithful minister. That's a good description. I like to be called a faithful minister. Amen? 
I certainly won't be the smartest or the prettiest, but I can be faithful. I can be faithful. Amen? Isn't that right? I can be faithful. All right? Hey, one day, when you and I stand before the Lord, and Jesus welcomes us home, on that day, we're not going to hear, well done, thy good and successful servant. Won't hear, won't hear, 